it's hard to design for children. It's harder to design for children right. And it's even harder to build a profitable business while putting children first. Happily for us, children's rights are making headlines, particularly in relation to digital discourse. But what does this have to do with design? How can a children's rights mindset contribute to better design for children? What about business goals and profitability? And how can individual designers capitalize positive change? Our hopes are to address all these questions today, inspire you to take action without delay, and provide you with the necessary tools to get started. Pretty ambitious agenda for a single episode, isn't it? <laughs> so buckle up and get ready. Music, please. Welcome to Designing for Children's Best, a podcast about how to turn our best intentions into outstanding child experiences. Here, D4CR members and guests, top experts from the industry, academia, and social sector discuss principles and best practices that will help us all design better for children. Today, we are diving into the practical angle of applying children's rights in businesses and design work on different levels. The episode is relevant to both companies and individuals, so stay with us. I'm Paulina Lulo, and I can't wait to introduce you to Dr. Shuli Gilutz. Shuli is a founding board member of D4CR, children's UX researcher and a global expert and speaker on children's tech, media, and play with more than 20 years of experience in the field. We're so lucky to have you here today, Shuli. Thank you. It's great to be here. So cool. <laughs> I think that you especially can contribute to this topic because you have a very broad experience with different companies and different uh, projects. And I think you're really the one to connect between business and children and good practices and make it really a win-win for everyone. Thank you. Um, I'm very excited to be here and I hope that we will kind of spark kind of ideas for our audience about how to talk to businesses about child rights for design and ethical design and how it's a win-win for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. So maybe we start with something personal. Can you tell us a bit about what attracted you to children's rights and D4CR when this beautiful thing started? Because you already were an experienced designer and uh, yeah, I'm curious, how did it serve you then? And how does this concept and framework keep serving you today? Thanks. That's the great question. So I, I've been working in this field for a long time of kids technology, mainly doing research with companies, with children, for children, with families, and also teaching in academia. And it's been always a challenge to talk to companies and to people about good design because good design for kids can mean different things for different cultures and um, different products and experiences for kids and definitely different companies. And for me, I used to use a developmental framework before, kind of an age appropriate design, but even that kept changing as the technology changed. And then um, when I saw the call for a discussion about this by two designers in Helsinki, uh, Leila and Yona, they it, it really excited me to see what people all over the world or Europe uh, think about this. So we went over there and um, 
that's when D4CR kind of started to happen. So a group of 80 designers that came in together with different experiences about designing for kids, different backgrounds, and everybody was passionate about creating this guide to make designing for children, ethical design, good design easier. And it was so exciting to be in that group. And one of the important forces in that group were the people from UNICEF. And they brought the framework of child rights. And, and from my perspective, it was the first time I really saw it in connection to design. I knew of child rights and I knew of their global work, but I never thought of it as um, something that had to do with designing for kids. And by linking the two, by using child rights as a framework for what is good design, for what is ethical design, mm -hmm. everything kind of fell into place. And suddenly mm -hmm. there was an answer to what is good design, designing mm -hmm. children's rights. And uh, for me, that has since been the framework. And as we, we evolved in D4CR, we had the principles and the guide and examples, but there are other organizations that are doing it. And it's just a great way to think about designing for kids. And then when you think about it within this framework, you get answers for almost all the mm -hmm. questions you have. I like what you said about linking because it kind of links you to your intuition as well. It's easier to think when you're thinking of children's rights and like the right of, of a child to rest and like, huh, what does it mean in my product? And it's really beautifully connecting all the different aspects that you mentioned. Yes. Yes, I agree. That's amazing. And um, maybe we can talk now about what children's rights are and where do these rights apply both in physical and digital environments? Sure. So um, what are children's rights? It's a good question. So we all know what human rights are, but um, in 1989, there was a document called the Conventions of the Rights of the Child, that it was the first legally binding international document that countries, mm -hmm. almost all the countries in the, in the world, excluding two or three, they signed it mm -hmm. um, to affirm human rights for children globally. And that's a big deal. They were basically mm -hmm. saying children are not the property of their parents or their community or their country. Children are their own humans and they have rights. And when UNICEF kind of started this whole project, it helped to promote these rights in terms of, you know, provision, healthcare, nutrition, education, play, play is a huge rights that we kind of uh, highlight uh, in D4CR and, and others. Also protection, you know, abuse, neglect, exploitation, discrimination, all these things, you know, a child labor, a child uh, abuse, but mm -hmm. th these were thinking about protect children globally and participation. So the right to participate is crucial where children have the right to participate in their lives and the communities and services. And this is part of the document. This document says, very clearly, the children are human and they, they are part of the discussion. They have mm -hmm. rights and they should be part of uh, the ones deciding about their own fate. Mm -hmm. So um, that was in, in 1989. And there was no mention of um, digital stuff there because it wasn't relevant at the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, fortunately, uh, two years ago, there was an amendment to the document and the digital environments were added as part of the document. So now, it's legally binding for all the countries that signed this document to apply these regulations in the legal in the sorry in the digital environment as well. Mm -hmm. So this has a lot of implications in terms of child rights in the digital world. So surely what you are saying is that children have the same rights 
in the digital environment as they do in the physical environments. And we, people who design this digital environments, because everything is designed in digital, which is different in the real world, we have the responsibility to at least think of how our work affects the children. Indeed. It's not only at least think, it's we really have the responsibility. So you can look at it for different perspectives. You can look at it from an ethical perspective. You can look at it from a cultural perspective, or you can look at it even from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. Companies are bound legally to do this. So it's the understanding that this is what um, we need to do for children's well-being. Mm -hmm. Now, how we do it, that's a whole other question, because obviously these are general concepts. And when you're designing digital experiences for children and families, there's so many things in -hmm. the process and so many features that affect their lives in many ways. So the how is where D4CR came in, Designing for Mm -hmm. Children's Rights. The idea was, okay, we, we have the Convention of Child Rights and we know how to design. Now, how do we combine the two? How do... How do we do it? And how also take companies into consideration because they are there to make profit. And even the best company that is not profitable in the end will not be sustainable. So it's a puzzle that (laughs) that we're here to (laughs) present and discuss today. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is that, so first when we started, I think a lot of us had experiences with companies and found it very challenging to convince company as a company, as a strategy that comes top down Uh to go with this kind of child-centered approach. Uh Um, And that's the reason that when we created the Designing for Children Rights Guide and Principles, we were really looking to talk to the designers themselves. We believe designers can make a difference. It doesn't have to come from the company per se. Uh And the way the guide is designed is that it talks to designers and stuff they can do in order to impact the product. That said, and all that, by the way, is in the Design of Children's Rights uh, website, and you can find the full guide there. That said, things are changing and more companies are discussing this in a high level kind of uh, impact way. So to incorporate child rights, on a high level strategic way for the company. Now that sounds scary and a lot of companies are wary of doing that. They feel like this would be a long-term challenge, that this would be big in terms of budgets, but actually this is really a win-win situation. And I totally understand Mm -hmm. that companies wanna be profitable. Uh, We -hmm. also want them to be profitable because that's how they'll continue to create great experiences for children and family, okay, mm-hmm. of course. But um, one of the ways to be profitable is by creating good products. And it goes back to mm-hmm. the question what good products are. So mm-hmm. by using a framework for ethical design for children, it could match different cultures and everywhere you go and create good experiences for different mm-hmm. cultures. So you're getting a better product. And it's a good experience for all because yes, I deeply believe that individuals also want to make good work. And if they feel that what they do is meaningful and they feel the impact, it's much more harmonic this way. Yes, definitely. It's like a user-centered process with the user here is mm-hmm. the child. And that's also one of the differences when you're designing uh, technology for kids, when you're working in this industry and the companies know that one of the challenges in this industry is that the customers 
and the users are two different groups. So mm -hmm. in a lot of other industries, you're designing for your customer, which is your user. Here, mm -hmm. the customers, the paying customers are the parents mm -hmm. and the users are the children. So you have this gap and this discrepancy and you're just trying to design for two different audiences that sometimes have even opposing goals or needs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in one place. So how do you do that and how do you keep a child's rights within that? Uh, so it's a huge challenge. But I think one of the things that is encouraging more companies to approach this challenge and think about it is parents today. So a mm -hmm. lot of the millennial parents uh are really big on ethical design this is about all yes. different parts of their lives yes. so the shoes they buy the clothes they buy the food they buy uh, the, you yes. know the car they drive in Absolutely. and it goes the same for children's products they want ethical products so in terms of marketing and in terms of what they look into if they know that this product is safe and private mm -hmm. and child-centered and allows for play and for learning and age appropriate and all these things that are part of child rights mm -hmm. You're actually giving your product a huge advantage in terms of marketing and sales with this group, the millennial parents. That's true. So, um, and this is true for in inclusiveness and in diversity and all these things we talk about in terms of child rights. So basically, so, so basically, the guidelines are giving a checklist for the company how to be profitable. Definitely, <laughs> it definitely they definitely do. And I actually, it's a coincidence, but I heard a talk last night. Uh, here in Tel Aviv, the CEO of Mattel was here, you know, in Christ, mm -hmm. and he was speaking about the changes Mattel had made, you know, with the big brands like Barbie and mm -hmm. so forth. And even within the company, they've made huge changes. For example, they used to have departments for boys and departments for girls, and they don't have that anymore. They wow. have dolls and vehicles and they have the same products. They just mm -hmm. don't call them in those names and they're inclusive because they accept that it's more about a play pattern. And they yeah. want to invite everybody to be. And he said, he said, I'm doing this because it's the smart thing to do from a business perspective. This wow, is that's... the culture today. We have a huge responsibility, a social responsibility to give these children the culture that their parents want them to have. And mm -hmm. he said it was a win-win. And if you hear the CEO of Mattel talking like that, which is a very traditional company with a huge legacy of over a hundred years, then you mm -hmm. understand there's change happening. There's change happening in terms of a business perspective, not only, you know, a child rights and an ethical perspective. So it's great to hear that from people uh, like him and to see the changes, because once these big giant companies start making changes, mm -hmm. it will trickle down. And I'm sure we'll see the effect in other companies as well. Absolutely. It gives proof and uh, more uh, credibility to our way into. Yes. Yes, definitely. So, um, it's, it's a win-win, and I think that's what everybody needs to remember. And I think one of the main challenges is convincing high-level management to make mm -hmm. a few changes. And the changes aren't necessarily in budget or length, but they are in process. Mm -hmm. So you're changing priorities. You put more time in the beginning on research and design to understand mm -hmm. child-centered design, but then you need less time later for customer mm -hmm. support and fixes and launch because you've addressed all that before. But you need management that is able to see far enough to understand that this will really help that. And whoever's done a user-centered design project before, not even in children, knows mm -hmm. that if you do upfront research and discovery, it's gonna shorten the time later on for any kinds of fixes and changes and support. 
But mm -hmm. people who haven't done that and aren't kind of in that kind of relationship with their uh, clients, their customers, their users don't know the value of it yet from a business perspective. So that's where the convincing uh, needs to be done. But once you get the all in from the management to make the change, there are different ways you can address it. You could do it all in or you could just do it in little bits. Yeah, and it's also where having a big companies following this route really helps because they can see the case studies and examples that work. Yes, it's true. I mean, it's it's great when you hear kind of the CEO saying things like that and it trickles down. But I think in order to see real impact, we, we can see it in different layers of the company. So we're talking about the power of designers, where designers themselves can make changes. And we can see that in the, in the wonderful project, for example, that Toka Boca did a few years ago in, in Toka World, where the designers themselves decided to create a diverse environment, an inclusive environment, and every character in their little virtual word for young children had different uh, skin tones like they just changed one number but mm -hmm. no two characters were alike and there are dozens of characters there so the idea was that you really get this diverse set of mm -hmm. characters and this came from the designers it wasn't a top down or imagined thing but it uh -huh. created such an incredible experience that they started getting feedback from their audience from the press and eventually it went up to management, management was like, this is amazing. Yes, we're embracing this and we're doing this in other parts in the company. So I think that's an example of where designers can do this together. So you have both the top down and bottom up from management and uh, the designing team and you can move on. And this could also come from research when they're bringing in kind of, you know, quotes and videos from children and families to kind of reinforce uh, different parts of child rights and, and principles for child rights. Mm -hmm. This can come from even support people that talk to parents, parents that call in with problems. They can bring in these ideas that can very change the way a product is designed and is marketed. That's wonderful. Yeah. What you say, it's so uh, important to remember that sometimes when we want to change things for good, we think it's too big and it's impossible to start. But when you do something small, it can really create a big impact or like a waterfall example that the 4CR uses a lot. Yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about the waterfall. Well, the waterfall <laughs> is actually a, a Layla's metaphor that she started when she presented D4CR initially was if you change a few of the stones at the top of the waterfall, you start creating kind of an angle and open ended where actually it reaches a whole other place. And, and the designers are like those stones or those creating these small changes that can have huge impact later in the mm -hmm. process. So again, it could also come from strategy and from the company when they understand the win-win. But if designers make small changes, for example, you see this again a lot in the video game industry. So a lot of the designers are very ethical and they understand uh, the power and the responsibility of their job. And they know kids may be younger than they need to be are playing their platforms and their games. And you can see little features and little things that designers put in that are not necessarily, you can know that that's a, one designer that thought, okay, I'm going to make this better. I'm going to mm -hmm. make this ethically better. For example, uh, a button that helps, you know, users feel safe or mm -hmm. it can move the community and call someone or even a design that's kind of more inclusive when you have uh, different characters or different kinds or these small things that are not necessarily the game mechanic or the gameplay, mm -hmm. but 
are looking at child rights and are looking to make the experience a better one. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is true also for uh, developers. So we haven't talked at all about developers and D4CR, we don't talk to them, but programmers, developers, uh, engineers who work on the data side, who work on um, how the retrieval and encryption and safety and data protection and privacy. I mean, those are huge things that are very important when you're talking about everybody, but especially mm -hmm. with minors and children. And um, they can mean a lot in terms of child rights. So there's a lot of impact here. Yeah, and it gives a, a mutual uh, language of impact and benefits and doing good. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think also for a lot of founders and CEOs that lead the way, um, they are many times removed from the audience and so maybe they have children or are inspired by their own kids, but only once they start talking to their customers and their users in a big way, mm -hmm. are they so excited about the impact and potential challenges they may have. And I'm saying that in a good way. So from my experience, uh, working with clients, a lot of times when I say, you know, we have to talk to kids, we have to bring in research. They're like, no, 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 Shuli, we don't have time for that. We don't have money for that. And if I can somehow convince them even to get a small group of kids, then afterwards they're like, oh, how do we get more of this kind of information? <laughs> because it's so valuable when you create a product, this is what you want. You want to know what the experience will be like for the families once they purchase the product, the experience or whatever they're uh, trying to sell. Mm -hmm. So this way you get that knowledge before, but not only if it works or doesn't work, or are they excited, but new ideas and inspiration and mm -hmm. in how to make it better. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's really a win-win because you are involving children, you are giving them the right to participate, the right to have a voice, and they are so excited to impact design for other kids all over the world. Mm -hmm. And your business is benefiting because they're learning more about their users and how to make a better experience for them and their families. So it really is a win-win situation. And it's not expensive to do some user research with kids. It's really not expensive. Can you talk more about researching with kids and how to start research practices? Because what I've noticed that the gap in starting research with kids is mostly mental because mm -hmm. companies have no idea how to do that. They have this belief that it's so hard, so they shouldn't even start because it's expensive and difficult. Could you give some advice and talk from your experience? How can it be done more easily? Well, well, I agree. So first of all, it's true. It is different than working with adults, but it's not extremely difficult and it's definitely not expensive. So uh, ideally you would find someone who has experience doing this just so you can start. And what I would do is have that someone actually kind of guide your own team in your company. So later on you can do it yourself because it's really not you know, a brain surgery, but there are some principles you have to learn to apply working with children. Of course, it depends which age group you're working with, which country and culture. Things vary uh, greatly between uh, countries. If you're doing something in schools, at the home, at a different location, but kids can be part of the process and families throughout the design process from the strategy and the ideation through the different iterations uh, as informants or as testers 
and all the way up to the end when you want to really uh, understand if you've achieved what you're trying to achieve. So it, they could be part of the process. Um, of course, there are companies and projects in academia that have kids as design partners, which is really incredible. That does require a bit more expertise but the value is amazing. And the value is amazing for the product, but like I said, also in terms of marketing and in terms of working with parents, because they really appreciate mm -hmm. the effort it takes into bringing kids in the design process. And they know that this product has the knowledge that kids bring in, which mm -hmm. is very unique. And who's ever, you know, if you've ever worked with kids as a team, they bring up things that no matter how experienced of a designer or researcher you are, you wouldn't have thought of. I mean, it's just the way it is. So um, it, it is very valuable. That's amazing. Maybe we can sum up the challenges. Okay. So I think um, the challenge, the main challenge is changing the process and putting more time on research design upfront before launch rather than less time on customer support and fixes after lunch. Mm -hmm. But um, that requires kind of a, a, a process change, a strategy change, people that have to be on board and understand the ROI, understand that it is a win-win, mm -hmm. both in terms of a better product, less support, uh, better parental acceptance uh, with millennial parents, and even the people working on the product. So the designers and the different teams will be happier to work on ethical products. So you're really getting everybody engaged and more enthusiastic about what they do. I love how you turned the challenge into an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> Always gotta get to the advantage. Let's look at another perspective of challenges. It's mm -hmm. the type of company. So you have huge companies which have a legacy and a way of working the same way they worked for whatever, 20, 30 years. And for them, change is very difficult. A lot of times uh, digital is even not at the core of the company. It's still in marketing or somewhere else and it's outsourced. So this shift is bigger because you have to understand that for children and families, digital is not different than anything else. It's part of the experience. If you're a toy company, if you're a Absolutely. TV, it's just the same. And mm -hmm. I think for those, it's more of a structural challenge uh, and leadership that is kind of uh, up to date with everything that's going on will understand that, that it's all part of this one brand or one product or one experience for families and they have to come together. So they have a more structural challenge. It's like who will lead this kind of uh, child-centered design process. And then uh, the other end of the spectrum, you have startups, which are it could be three people or 10 people and very lean budgets and they can't afford to have like a specialist that works on you know designing for kids and working for kids so um they usually say okay uh, my daughter's doing this i'll just you know work with her and first of all that's not bad but we have to remember that that's definitely not representative of all girls all kids and definitely not globally mm -hmm. so i would recommend for these types of companies just to try and expand as much as they can. Their daughter, their friends of their daughter, their friends and their friends and friends of their daughter, their friends abroad that live abroad that they could talk to and their kids, the kids in the classroom, the friends of the friends and slowly you start to expand mm -hmm. and you get a bigger perspective and you could do a lot of things online today. And again, like I said, people are very excited to participate and collaborate because it's true. exciting to have impact 
on products for children, especially if these products are, are doing good. And then you have the companies in the middle, which are kind of different sizes. And there it's really about a person taking an initiative and saying, you know, let's do this and showing that it's not going to be too expensive. And again, in terms of ROI, the return on investment will be worth it. It's definitely worth it. And then you have to look at the marketing perspective, at the actual product perspective to how you bring value to the product and how it won't be expensive and how we could do this easily. And again, you could go to D4CR or there are other multiple resources online, which we'll put on, on the website to show you ways to do this that, you know, isn't expensive. Yeah. I agree with everything you said. (laughs) 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 So we usually um, end up with a question, which is what is the one thing you want to be remembered from this episode? Well, I think the most important thing uh, or takeaway is that applying children's rights in designing digital environments for kids is a win-win. Win for the company and the product and a win for the children. So it's really easy to do and easy to start. We just have to kind of make that switch and understand how it relates to the product. And you won't understand how you didn't do it before. (laughs) Thank you, Shuli. That was wonderful. And thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to hearing it. This was Designing for Children's Best podcast. This podcast is created by the members of D4CR, Designing for Children's Rights, Nonprofit Association. I'm Paulina Lulu. I highly recommend you look into the great, completely free resources of the D4CR Design Guide. It's at childrensdesignguide.org. There are Lots of uh, useful links and resources to explore and ideas how you can start uh, involving children's rights into your work. And see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. D4CR Designing for Children's Best.